Amen. Take a seat, please. Thank you, Hunter. Rachel. Guys, I don't know if you realize how blessed this church is that we have such gifted worship leaders. And I enjoy the, I enjoy the change up here a little bit, too. So, Now, for the many of you on the worship team that are out there, just because I said I like the change up day does not mean I don't like having you guys up here, too, okay? It's been, that's, that's one of the things I've loved about this. So this church has, is richly blessed with, uh, with the people who are leading in our church. Um, sounds like I'm a little hot in the monitors. I'm seeing some echo. Can we cut down just a little bit? Thanks. All right, well, today we're going to start looking at the book of Acts for a little bit. Because um, I think the book of Acts tells us a little bit about, about the mission the early church had. And from that, we can gather a little bit about our own mission. And uh, before we do, I want to talk about uh, this. I work a lot with, you know, as an interim pastor, I work a lot with churches that are pastorless. And there's a tendency with pastorless churches to sort of go into holy neutral. All right? Holy neutral. That's, if you don't know what holy neutral is, when somebody up here is praying a long prayer and you start thinking nothing, that's holy neutral, all right? Rather than praying along with them. Uh, so I will warn you a lot of times when somebody's praying, don't go into holy neutral. But um, to share with it how that happens, I, I want to share just a little bit about my background. You know, I pastored at a Korean church. I think I mentioned that in the past. And um, it was one of my, my favorite ministry times. I was in my early 30s, and uh, God blessed that church greatly while I was there. Uh, we had some wonderful things that happened. But in that process, um, I got noticed by the, um, by the, the state denominational headquarters of the church that we were a part of. Uh, that I'm a part of, and they had asked me to come out and start a new uh, student ministry department for them. And uh, that was a hard decision for me, and I wrestled with it for a long, long time. So it was about a three-month process, and as I looked at the possibility of maybe leaving, I'd like to admit, in the three months before I actually left, before the church even knew, I started working even harder than I did before. Now, I know that's a little bit embarrassing, because that meant I wasn't working as hard as I should have, I guess, beforehand. But I started working, and three months before we left, the, the, that, the English ministry, the English congregation of that church that I pastored broke all attendance records. We, broke, we had the, the largest uh, uh, worship attendance we'd ever had at the church. We had the largest average for the month. Uh, we had Sunday school classes. We had the largest Sunday school day, the largest average. We, all these records we were keeping, we broke all the records. It was like the best year this church had ever had. The second month, they, we broke all the records again. And I was just like, now admit it wasn't very spiritual, but I was walking about three inches off the ground. Okay, I was just thinking, wow, this is, this is great. This is, they're going to they're gonna love me forever here at this church because the two greatest months we've ever had have been these last two months. The last month we were there, we broke all the records again. And I thought, they're going to name a building after me. This is just going to be great, isn't it? Because I was thinking, man, this is just so good. All the things are happening really well. And, uh, and I left the church, you know, and I was just so excited about how well they had done. The second Sunday I was gone those cotton pickers broke all the records again. And I'm like, ah, man. <laughs> but then I realized, you know what? That's the way it ought to be. shouldn't be dependent on the pastor. That a church can still grow. And so, and it was just God's way of nudging me and going, um, yeah, we broke all the records, but it was we broke all the records, not you, okay? You got that? So it was God's way of reminding me and humbling me a little bit. But the reason I share that with you is not to say how great I was, because that's not a story about how great I was. It's a story about how great God was. But I want to remind you that churches do not have to stop, and the mission does not stop when we are pastorless, all right? So we're going to look at that from um, Acts chapter 1. 
verses 6 to 8. where we're going to start right there. We're actually going to look at a couple of passages in Acts. I don't normally do this, but this is one Sunday where we're going to wind up doing that a little bit. And so they're about to lose their leader for sure, okay? Their leader left in a very dramatic way. So Jesus is gathered. Let me set the stage here for you. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. I think we have it the New American Standard this, this, this time. Uh, that's I, I, the, the, the Christian Standard Version we have, a Bible we have in the pews. Great translation. Use that. But if you're reading a pew Bible, it's going to read a little bit differently from up here. So if you remember the story here, this is after Jesus has given his life on the cross for us. He's now resurrected, and it's now been 40 days, and he's getting ready to leave his disciples. And here's what he says, that Jesus is getting ready to say his last words to them. It says, so when they had come together, they began asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, it is not for you to know the time, the periods of time or the appointed times which the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the mission to which you have called us as your people. Father, first, thank you that you have called us as your people, but thank you also for the mission to which you've called us. Father, thank you for this church by which we gather as a local body of your believers, Father. And we know you have churches all over this city, all over this state, all over this world, Father, yet out of all of those, you've called us to be here as Fresno Church for the purpose of fulfilling our part of this mission. And so, Father, we, we are thankful for that. We really are. And Father, from your word today, may we understand our own role in leading this church and in participating with the mission you have given us. Please guide our hearts to obey and our minds to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, a couple of things I want to tell you about this. First thing is, the mission requires our focus. It really does. Now, let's look at, go back to this passage for a moment. Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. If you read on it in Acts chapter 1, you'll see that Jesus just leaves them then. He ascends into heaven, and they're just standing there just with their mouths open until finally two angels come and say, what are you doing? Just go, go. He gave you an assignment. I'm paraphrasing there, all right? But said basically, he's coming back. Not now, but he's coming back, so go do what he told you to do, basically. So as they're gathered here, we don't know how many people are there. We do know that from Scripture that at one point after Jesus rose from the dead in his 40 days of ministry before he ascended into heaven, we know that he met at least 500 people. Most likely this was the time. We don't know for sure. But there could have been as many as 500 right there at that point. And as they're gathered there, one person in the crowd, and you could probably figure out in any group who this person is, there's one person in the crowd that pipes up with a question that's on everybody's mind. Now, when we look at the scripture, it sounds really sort of flowery and nice. Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What he's really saying is, I think, the guy's looking around going, okay, we've just seen how much power you have, Jesus. We've just, we, you're, you're alive. You're dead, alive. This is, this is a big deal. And there's 500 people right here. We see how much power you have. Is this the time that we're going to march down this hill, we're going to march into Jerusalem and kick out the Roman rulers. That's what he's asking when he said, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? 
Jesus had been with them ministering for three years, and they were still looking in their mind for a military kingdom like David had. They were still looking for that military kingdom that would, that would, require, would, would make Jerusalem and, and Judea and, and, and the, the Jewish people a strong, powerful um, military force or political force in the world. And Jesus responded to them, telling them that they ne didn't need to worry about that. In fact, my paraphrase again, where Jesus said, it is not for you to know the times, the periods of time, or the point of time so the Father set by his own authority. In modern language, Jesus said, would have looked and gone, ain't none of your business. All right? Don't worry about it. That's not what you're supposed to be focusing on right now. You're supposed to focus on something else. And he gave us this, this mission. He said, you're going to receive power, and then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and throughout the whole world. In fact, he gave us there the outline of the book of Acts. If you look at that right there. The Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 3, they witnessing in 3 through 7, they are witnessing to God's power throughout all Jerusalem. And then in Acts 8, they spread out to Judea and Samaria and eventually out to the entire known world. Luke is basically giving us the outline of what we need to do at that point. But mainly he's saying, don't get distracted. I've given you a mission. That's job one. You've seen those things. You had one job. We have one job to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and throughout the whole world. Now, it's amazing, though, how many people get distracted by things, distracted all the time. Um, many, many years ago, I worked, a, I think I've mentioned this before, too, I worked at a radio station in San Francisco called KEAR. It was family radio, uh, if you remember Harold Camping. Um, and um, what was funny is on Saturday, on Friday nights, just before Harold Camping's Bible study, I would sometimes host a program called the Pastor Study. I still remember it. It was, that was 40 years ago now, and I still remember. Good evening and welcome to the Pastor Study, a chance for you to ask questions, clarify doctrine, and get a, gain a deeper understanding into God's Word. Our guest today is Pastor Jim whatever from Little Hope Baptist Church, and he's going to be answering your questions today at 626-3013. I still remember all of that. And so I'd have a guest pastor come in, and they would answer questions that would call, they'd call in, and I was the host there. I would, I would do it. Every week in an hour-long program, I mean it every week, we'd get a question, something like this. Um, pastor, don't you think that all the signs are there that Jesus is going to come back like maybe Thursday around 10? You know, and I mean, it'd be questions something like that. They would say, and, and I so much wanted to reach over and just kill the pastor's mic. I could do that as a host and just go, Pastor, and it's an old cliche, but I want to say, Pastor, I have a better question. Don't you get so tired of people that are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good, all right, that they're focusing on the wrong thing? Jesus said, don't worry about that when I'm going to come back. He gave us the order saying, that's not your business. And we still focus on, even Harold Camping wound up predicting the return of Jesus a couple of times. To the best of my knowledge, he was wrong. Okay? But we're going we're gonna to get with that. So, but I want to just, we'll just digress to that for a moment. Let's go. There's actually a, a couple of things. Millennial distractions are a big deal, all right? And I want to tell you, there's, there's several different uh, positions people can take. First, there's premillennial. That's what most evangelicals are, premillennial. They're believing Jesus is going to come back one day and establish a thousand-year reign. And that seems very likely according to the Bible. But there's also people that are postmillennial. 
and these are they're Bible believers that are post-millennial. They believe that one day the world's going to get better and better and that we're going to eventually, you know, Jesus is going to say, oh, we've created the thousand-year kingdom, let's come back. Most of those people have died off, but there's still some believers that believe that. There's another one uh, called amillennial. And to be honest, this is the one sort of appeals to me. I, I don't know if Jesus is going to come back for a thousand years, like uh, 1,365 day years. It could be symbolic. I don't know. I just figure, we hadn't all figured out. I just know Jesus is coming back one day. Whether it's going to be a thousand years or that's what that was a round number or whatever, I don't know. We just know that there's a lot more to this that Jesus hadn't told us, okay? But those are the three main things you hear when you're talking about millennialism, premillennial, postmillennial, and amillennial. And churches have fought over those. We're not going to fight over those, okay? In fact, I propose this one. This is my favorite one here. I'm actually a panmillennialist. I believe God's in control. It's all going to pan out in the end, and I'm not going to worry about it. You guys haven't heard that one before? That one's so... Or this one, I've actually found this one lately. Pro-millennialist. I'm all for it. Bring it on Jesus whenever you're ready, okay? So that's, that's it for me. That's what, as long as I believe Jesus is coming back, how he's doing it, I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah, there's indications of the book of Revelation. That's fine. But right now, he said, that's not my worry. It's our mission. And that's what we're going to look at, is what our mission is in the future. Now, those are millennial distractions that this person in the book of Acts had what are some modern distractions that churches wind up with? So I've got a few modern distractions up here. Here's one, building programs. I've seen churches that just come to a halt with a building program. I've actually worked with pastors that they built a, a thing and then their church started declining for two years straight. And I'm like, and really realized that after they built the building, they had no new vision because they'd been sore by the building program. Here's another one, worship style. Thank you, Lord, that hasn't been a fight here at our church. But so many churches have fought the worship wars. And I'm just like, man, as long as you're worshiping Jesus, you know, I'm not going to like every song that Hunter does. I'm not going to let you know what I do, but I'm not going to like every song that's there. But you know what? I'm going to worship because God's still speaking to people through it. We've chosen you to, to, to be the, our worship leader. And man, I'm going to do my best to worship with all of it. I don't really care about the style. All right, so let's go. How about another one? Leadership structure. All right, we're going to be looking at our bylaws during the time that I'm here. And we're going to maybe look at doing some changing to our governance. But man, I've seen churches fall apart over this. I've, in my time of just being a full-time interim guy, I've dealt with one church that was falling apart because they had elders and were eager to get rid of them. I worked with another church that didn't have elders and was eager, eager to get them. And it was just distracting, distracting, distracting. We're not going to let that distract us. We're going to work on this thing, but that's never going to be our focus. Here's another one, all right? Resolving the past. I've seen churches that just couldn't get over what happened years and years ago. And they, you know, we're not going to let that bother us, uh, distract us either. Or another one, women in leadership. Churches that have fought over that. What can a woman do and not do? Yeah, that's things we have to figure out at some point, what that means. But that's not going to be our focus. And then this one, pastor search. I've seen so many churches that have ground to a halt saying, we'll work on this after the new pastor comes. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, all right, so you guys just sit and hold and wait, and then, um, then when I come back, we'll get it figured out. He said, no, I'm your leader. I'm gone, but we're going to still do the mission. I'm leaving it in your hands. And the mission is for us to do, not for our pastor to do. And so we're going to delve into that a little bit, because not only is the mission something that we to require focus, the mission does not depend on professionals. That's what I want you to know. The mission does not depend on the pastor or leadership staff that we have at the church. 
It depends on you guys. And to do that, we're going to go back to that outline of the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to look at the next station of it, okay, when they went to Judea and Samaria. And that's in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Does that, is it going to work? Let's try it and see. Oh, it didn't do. I had a nice little animation there, but it doesn't do well when I switch it to Mac, okay? So let's go to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. This is the one time I told you I'd jump in the Bible here. Now, if, you, if you're looking in your Bible, there's a little section there that says, and Paul, and, and Paul was hardly in agreement with, with putting Stephen to death. I'm, I was skipping that part because, you know, when, the, when, when Luke wrote the book of Acts, he didn't break it into chapters or verses. Those happened later. In fact, the verses of the Bible did not come until the 1500s. We didn't have verses of the Bible before then. It was just written straight, all right? So, so that relates more back to what happened in chapter 7. So we're going to pick up in the middle of verse, eight, or verse 1 here. It says, and on that day, after Stephen's um, uh, martyrdom, on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Except if you look in the Bible, that's not the end of the sentence. It concludes with, except for the apostles. I think it's an interesting thing. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. That was a part of his assignment. And when the church finally moved out and did it, it was the regular people. It wasn't the apostles. It wasn't the leaders at that point. It was the regular members of the church at that point. They went out and did it. In fact, the first person who went to Samaria was a guy named Philip who was a deacon. And deacons were not even elected to be, to be preachers, to be evangelists. They were directed to be, well, early, the, 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 actually the, the, uh, the first century version of Uber Eats. They were actually delivered food to the widows that, that, that need it and that kind of thing. But God used the regular people in the church to go out and do the ministry. So here's the question. Why did, not the, why did the apostles not go? Well, there could be a lot of reasons for it. Um, first could be that the apostles maybe were willing to face the persecution. There was persecution that arose in Jerusalem, and the apostles maybe said, we're going to stay firm, we're going to stand, and the rest of the church fled. I, I don't know if that was the reason or not. It is interesting, though, sometimes that God uses persecution in bad situations to get people moving sometimes. So sometimes God may use something that seems to you to be a terrible thing in your life, a disaster, a problem, to actually get you focused on doing the next thing that he needs you to do. Now, just between you and me, I'd rather get our act together and do the next step before Jesus has to, before he has to kind of kick us in the spiritual rear a little bit, all right? But it happens sometimes. So maybe the apostles were willing to, to, to deal with the, uh, with the uh, persecution, or maybe the apostles didn't catch the vision quite as quickly. Hard to say. Sometimes when a person is, is leading like that, that they're so focused on one thing that they don't shift very quickly. But here's the point to let you know. It was the people like you. It wasn't the people called to be the pastor that did this part of the mission. And that's a good principle for us everywhere that we go. And I want to talk to you for a little bit about what I call the rule of 32. 32, I think, is a very important number for ministry okay that didn't show up very well does it sorry about that i got to learn to do my graphics for our screens here um so i want to think about for the rule of 32 for a moment all right imagine for a moment that god raised up 32 great evangelists like billy graham okay these 32 great evangelists and each week these 32 evangelists did 32 great revivals all right 
So, so they're each doing revivals every, for, for 50 weeks out of the year. We'll give them Christmas and Easter off, all right? So every week, these 32 great evangelists are doing 32 revivals. And in each of those 32 revivals going on each week, 32,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus. All right? You understand that? How long would it be before we reach the world for Jesus? Does anybody want to be bold and take a guess? Huh? Not that long? Okay. Yeah. All right. Nobody's going to bite, huh? Huh? That's what I was looking for. Thank you for playing, but no. All right? But thank you, Red. It would actually take over 132 years. With 32 great evangelists, 32,000 people being saved each week in each of their revivals, it would take over 132 years. And everyone you know right now who does not know Jesus would be dead. In fact, everyone you know would be dead. And according to how I read the Bible, they would be spending eternity without Jesus. If God relied on great evangelists to do the work of the ministry, it just wouldn't happen. But now let's look at another way of doing it. Let's start with one person. Just one person. Here you go. Just a simple person there, all right? And that person in this next year reaches one person for Jesus. So the next year we'd have two people. And that year, each of the two of them reached one person for Jesus. Then we'd have four. And then the next year, they would have eight if they kept doing it. And the next year, we'd have 16. And then the next year, we'd have how many? 32. Yeah, I love that word 32, okay, that number 32, all right? So you see where we're going with this. Now, I want you to watch the numbers. Let's see if this one works. I hope this, this animation works, okay? So try it here, okay? So go ahead and let's see if we can just hit it one time and let's see if it'll start the animation. Oh, come on, please work. It's not going to work. Oh, hit it again. Let's see where we jump to then, okay? It's not going to do anything. Oh, okay, one more try. Oh, it was a beautiful animation. All right, just skip on to the next thing. But anyway, I'll let you know at the end of 32 years, at 32 years, yeah, it was going to count up through all the numbers, but the entire world we reached for Jesus in just 32 years. If one person this year reached a friend for Jesus. Now, we can say that's not going to happen because not everybody's going to reach one person every year. And not everybody's going to, I know, I know, but still understand the math. Okay, with those two processes right there. All right, if God is smart, and there's some indication that he is, all right? If God wanted to let the world know of his message about Jesus, would he rely on great evangelists? Or would he rely on you? It'll never get done with the great evangelists. But it'll get done with you. And so the mission has never been about following a pastor. The mission has never been about doing something in great big chunks. It's always been about you reaching your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your family for Jesus. That's all I have. And I'll, you'll hear me say this several times in this church. All right, we've got great worship leaders, okay? But you know what? There's probably three dozen great worship leaders in the Fresno area. You know what? And some are going to like Hunter the best. Some people are going to like other people the best. All right, Rachel, I hope you like Hunter the best, but we can talk later. If you, all right. Um, there's 
there's a whole lot of better preachers than me, okay? And as I mentioned before, some of them are better looking, all right? So, um, so people go anywhere. So, so we don't have anything like that. We, you don't have the best preacher in town, okay? But you know what we do have that no other church has? There's one thing we have that no other church has. You. You. You're the unique thing about this church. And you know what? I've seen churches grow during the time that they've been pastorless. I've seen it happen. Well, it happened in my church there. Uh, when, I was, when my wife was on church staff, we were pastorless without, for 18 months, and we grew during that time because the people were doing the work. The mission does not stop when you're without a pastor. So let's talk about our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Here's a picture of your Jerusalem right here. This, I've shown you these maps before, but that's just, that's just the 93705 zip code. We're not actually in that, but that's the, we're in 2-2, I think, aren't we? Or we're two, we're in 2-2, yeah, but the 2-2 near us is way over out in the industrial area or way up north. So I just chose uh, 93705. That's the nearest homes to us right now. And in that area, there's actually 13,085 homes. And living there is 36,703 people. That's our Jerusalem right there. 36,700 people who don't know, and most of those don't know Jesus. All right, let's go to your Judea and Samaria. Let's look at the Fresno metro area. This Fresno metro, metro area, what they call the standard statistical metropolitan unit here, okay? And in this area, there's actually 13,912 homes with just over 1 million people living in the Fresno area. Just over 1 million people and according to the best data that i could find 48 percent of that of our community is unchurched 48 percent now let me say that's not too bad but let me say this and i'm saying this i'm a little bit careful with this because we are on video but if you if you subtract from that the number of people that are in the catholic church and uh, by the way i'm not saying that there are no catholic christians okay i'm not saying that but the way the Catholic Church tends to count membership, you don't have to be a Christian to be included in that, okay? That, that's not what they prefer, but that's just the way it kind of works. There are more people that are, now we've got some, we've probably got people in our church like, I was born and raised at Fresno Church, that makes me a Christian. No, it doesn't. You could be here and not be saved, I get that. But, if you, but, but generally speaking, I think you find a lot, of Christ, a lot of Catholics that are Catholic in name only, okay? And so if you take that out, actually that 48% goes up to 79% unchurched okay again don't hear me say that catholics are not christians just saying that there are a lot of people that are because they're catholic in name only so that's a lot of people there's a lot of churches but somewhere out there there's some people that you're the best christian that they know you're their best chance to learn about jesus because you happen to live near them work near them or share some dna with them or be a friend with them. And then let's look at your world here, of course. This is the last figures I had. It's changed since then. But right now, the world population is just, just under 8 billion people in the world right now. That's the job we have to reach. And in theory, it could be done in 32 years if just one Christian this year would lead somebody to the Lord and then it multiplies from there. So 
if the pastor's job is not to do the mission, then what is the pastor's job? It's found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Paul talks about the pastor's job there, and he says, He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, if you read that in the King James Version, you see a little extra comma there that's not in the original. The Greek doesn't use commas that often, but um, that says it's, that made it sound like the pastor's job is to build up the saints and do the work of the ministry and build up the body of you know, Christ. That's not what it says. It says the pastor's job is to equip the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ will be built up. So my job as your interim pastor, whenever you call a new pastor, his job is the same as yours. Go out to his friends and neighbors, co-workers. Well, hopefully our co-workers at church are all saved, but we'll, we'll put that on the agenda, Donna, for next staff meeting, okay? We'll double check. All right, so same job as the rest of you guys, but he has the added job of being your player coach to equip you guys to help you do that. So let me speak again. I, I like to address teenagers once in a while, guys. So guys... If you've got a friend that, um, that, uh, that needs to know about Jesus, yeah, we'd love for you to bring them Thursday night and let Hunter talk to him about Jesus. But what's even better is on Thursday night for you to say to Hunter, Hunter, i got a friend that doesn't know Jesus. Help me walk through how to tell him about Jesus. That's the best way to do it right there. Because to be honest, somebody walks up, they see Hunter for the first time, they're just thinking, please don't rob me, okay? Or, you know, or or, dude, you need some money here? All right, so, you know I'm jealous. He's got the hair. I can't, I don't have it anymore, man, so I can't. All right, if I, if I stepped over the line, tell me later, all right? So, but, but, so they may not respond to that, but they're responding to you. They'll respond to you more than to Hunter or to me. Or if, you t- or if I go talk to him about Jesus, they'll go like, there was this creepy old man, and he was trying to talk to me about, like, really intimate stuff, and so I'm calling the cops, all right? So, so that kind of stuff could happen. So what I'm saying is you guys are there to do the work. So your job is the work of the ministry to do all of it along with your pastor, that you all work together at it. So now let's look at the completion of the book. As we talked about Jerusalem or the Holy Spirit coming, then Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria. And he says, now go to the utmost parts of the earth. So to do that, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 2. All right, so, all right, if you got it real quick. Acts chapter 29, sorry, Acts chapter 29, verse 2. Acts chapter 29, verse 2. Somebody raise your hand when you found it for me, okay? Acts 29, verse 2. Yeah, okay, it was just a test real quick. All right, you won't find Acts chapter 29 in the Bible. It ends with verse, tw- it ends in chapter 28, and it ends rather weird. And Paul stayed at his own rented house for two years, and he preached there unhinderedly. Boom, that was the end. You're like, they're like, If it was a TV series, you'd be like, they didn't wrap that up. They didn't end this like they should have. What happened? You know, maybe there's going to be a sequel later. Maybe they're going to do a made-for-TV movie at the end to wrap everything up or something. But he didn't. Luke just finished it sort of bluntly like that. So why didn't Luke finish the book of Acts? Why did it end like that? Well, there's some theories on that. Let me give you some theories. Uh, One interesting theory is that, you know, Luke wrote the book of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. And so there's some interesting theories. One is that Luke wrote the book of Acts as a legal brief for Paul's defense, that Paul was on trial, and Luke wrote that. In fact, if you look at the book of Acts, the very beginning, Paul, uh, Luke addresses it to Theophilus, which could be, 
it's just a Greek word means God-fearer. It could be written to a generic person. Or it's even possible to have suggested that maybe Theophilus was Paul's lawyer. And, and Luke was writing this. Now, you say, well, no, he wrote it to be Scripture. Yeah, but Luke didn't necessarily know that at the time. When the Holy Spirit inspired him to write it, he didn't basically, I don't think he went and said, okay, Luke, you're going to write the book of Acts, okay? It's going to go all over. It's going to be a big deal, all right? So just write what I tell you. No, the Holy Spirit spoke to him in some ways that he's writing this. And so maybe it was, he had to get it to the, to the, to the publisher, you know, before, before, the, uh, before the trial. That's one theory. This, it's a possibility. Another one was that, Paul, that he was planning a third volume, that he had Luke and then Acts, and it was going to be like the original trilogy here, okay? And he was going to do a third volume. That's some other people's thing. But I think the reason that Luke didn't finish the book of Acts was he died before he finished it. Now you might say, well, that seems like bad planning on God's part to let the author die. He could have prevented that. I don't think God ever intended for Luke to finish it. Why? Because even though in your Bible you won't find a 29th book of Acts, there is a 29th book of Acts. I found it. Now, some of you are freaking out going like, okay, what's he about to say, all right? But I found the 29th book of Acts. You know where it is? It's right here. That's right. Each one of you are a verse in the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. Because the mission is not over yet. It is not. In fact, Matthew 24, 14 says, says, this gospel of kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. When that's done, then the mission is finished. And so each one of you has a verse to write in the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. Your new pastor, whoever that be, has his own verse to write, but it's only one verse. You've got that same verse. What will your verse in the 29th chapter of Acts say about what you did to fulfill the mission? I want you to think about that because it does depend on you. And to help you understand this more, I want to tell you a little bit of story, all right? Has anybody ever heard of a man named Edward Kimball? Does anybody know who Edward Kimball is? All right, if you're my age, it was not the guy from Green Acres, okay? If you, all right. Anybody know? All right, let me tell you a little bit about Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball lived in the 1800s in, in Chicago, and he actually taught Sunday school to 16-year-old boys. I feel for the man. And in one of his um, classes one year, there was a young man named Dwight. And Dwight um, didn't know Jesus. Dwight worked in a shoe store. And uh, you could do that at 16 back in those days. And Edward Kimball decided one day, just felt like God wanted him to go witness to Dwight. So he went into the shoe store to talk to Dwight and really talk with him seriously about Jesus. And Dwight gave his heart to Jesus right there as a 16-year-old boy. Now, you've probably never heard of, oh, you, you already got it to Dwight already up there. You already gave it away, all right? You may have never heard of Edward Kimball, but you've probably heard of Dwight L. Moody, D.L. Moody. If you're not familiar with D.L. Moody, if you ever heard of Moody Bible Institute or Moody Press or Moody Films or Moody Monthly or Moody uh, the Moody is it Chapel in Chicago, I've been to that. That was all started with Dwight L. Moody. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Dwight L. Moody is credited in the late 1800s of moving Chicago away from the brink of destruction. Now, granted, it's probably there again, but now God needs to raise up a new Dwight L. Moody. But it said Dwight L. Moody was just, it was so well known that one night a drunk stumbled out of a, a bar at 2 a.m. And a guy came up to him and said, brother, do you know Jesus? And that drunk went, 
you got to be the nosiest man in the world. Either that or you're Dwight L. Moody. And it was Dwight L. Moody. That's the reputation he had. Dwight L. Moody, God used him. Thousands and thousands of people came to know Jesus because of revivals and of preaching that, that Dwight L. Moody did. Now, I want you to know that Dwight L. Moody, when he was a young man, heard, heard somebody say, the world has yet to see what God can do through one life totally yielded to him. And Dwight said, I will be that person. On his deathbed, Dwight L. Moody said, the, word still, the world still has yet to see what God can do through one life totally yielded to him. So he had his struggles just like we do. But if it hadn't been for Edward Kimball, there wouldn't have been a Dwight L. Moody. Well, Dwight L. Moody, in one of his revivals, a man came to Christ by the name of F.B. Meyer. Now, F.B. Meyer, you've probably not heard of him, but F.B. Meyer, we don't know a whole lot about him except that F.B. Meyer also led a man to Jesus by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman. And J. Wilbur Chapman, a man that just, again, became a believer through the ministry of, or through the work of uh, F.B. Meyer. But J. Wilbur Chapman also had the chance to witness to a young man by the name of Billy Sunday. Now, some of you may have heard of Billy Sunday before. If any men, if you've ever been to a Promise Keepers rally, the original Promise Keepers stuff was actually back in the Billy Sunday days, okay? Promise Keepers really was a restoration of some of the stuff that he did. And Billy Sunday also did revivals that swept the nation, and thousands upon thousands of people around the turn of the century became believers because of the ministry of Billy Sunday. But if it hadn't been for Eldred Kimball, there'd be no Billy Sunday. Now, in one of Billy Sunday's revivals, a man by the name of Mordecai Ham gave his life to Jesus. And Mordecai Ham actually did what they called the Brush Arbor Revivals, up and down the eastern seaboard, the Carolinas and Virginia and around there, you know, the Sawdust Trail, they talked about that kind of thing. And hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people gave their life to Jesus in those campfire meetings that that uh, Mordecai Ham had. And in one of his meetings, a 16-year-old boy walked down the aisle. That 16-year-old boy was sort of, people thought he was a little bit weird. He's tall, had beady eyes, steely blue eyes, big sharp nose. Thought he was a little bit weird. But he came down and gave his life to Jesus. Now, you've never heard of Edward Kimball. You've heard of Dwight Moody. Maybe not F.B. Meyer, maybe not Wilbur Chapman, maybe Billy Sunday, probably not Mordecai Ham. But you have heard of this young man who walked down the aisle. His name was Billy Graham. Now, Billy Graham, through his ministry, hundreds of thousands upon hundreds of thousands of people have heard the gospel from what Billy Graham has done. He's been here to Fresno many times. He's become synonymous with evangelists and revivals and that kind of thing. But I want to ask you right now, think about it for a moment, that even Billy Graham might not have been here if it hadn't been for a Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball. Now, the next Billy Graham may not be in this room. I don't know if God in our generation will ever raise up another Billy Graham, but maybe not in this room. Maybe. Could be. Could be. Lila, could you be the first female Billy Graham, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? That would certainly make a lot of us believe in Jesus, all right? I know that, I, all right? But 
Maybe, but probably not. Probably not the next Billy Graham here. But you know what? The next Edward Kimball might be. As we go out and we do our work. As we fulfill our mission together. And so during this time that we're interim, that we're waiting to find a new pastor, yeah, we're going to be doing work. We're going to be working on some internal things on the church and getting our head straight on this. But the one thing that cannot change is that you are going out everywhere sharing the message of Jesus. And guys, it's not like it's not like I'm saying that you have to go out every day and lead somebody to Jesus. That's not it. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is to be his witnesses, to share with people about Jesus, so to talk with them and just tell them your story. In fact, engage people in spiritual conversations. Our job as a, ch- as a church is going to be a place for them to land and to grow and develop spiritually together. But your job is to go out there and do the work. So what I want you to do with that, okay? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do is you get ready to write your verse in the 29th chapter of Acts. First, get rid of distractions. Get rid of the distractions that have beset you. For some churches, it is the hurts of the past, what we should have done in the past, the the shoulda, woulda, couldas. We have to lay those aside at some point and focus on the future of our mission or the mistakes that we've made. So get rid, whatever those distractions are, do whatever you need to do to put the past behind you. I will say this, if there's anything you need, need to do to, to reconcile with anyone in the church or anyone in your life, do that. S- make a commitment to do it. To do your mission, you have to be as free from distractions as you can be. Second, respond to any current call from God that you might have. If there's something that God has laid on your heart that you need to be doing, Man, that's the time. In fact, I'll hang around after the service. If there's something you want to talk with me about, or I imagine for a little bit, Jeremy and Red and Hunter will be available, that we can set up an appointment to talk with anything that you feel like God's laying on your heart that you need to be doing. If there's something he's already said to you, respond to it and say, yes, I'm going to do that. Third, begin to see your world as a mission field. Some churches even have the sign out that says, you are now entering the mission field. When you walk out this door, you're heading to the mission field. Now, next week, we're going to get to hear a report of the missionary that went out and did what we normally think of as the mission field. And God bless them that they were able to do that. That's great. You want to be here next Sunday and hear about that, about what God did through our team that went out there and, and did a part of it. That's going to be the main part. Uh, that's, that's the sermon next week, okay? You don't have to hear me next week. You get a break from me again. But, uh, but that's going to be great. And those kind of mission things need to happen. But Those guys didn't come home from the mission field. They came home to a different mission field. And when we walk out these doors, we're hitting the mission field. Then next, get involved in ministry opportunities and in a small group. We're going to be restarting our small groups, getting people involved. But we've got tons of ministry opportunities. I'm going to be going out to Roding Park and see what goes on out there today and see that that's one of the ministries we have. We've got the ministry at Paintbrush. We've got the Rescue the Children, the Fresno Mission. There are probably many other things we could do but we'll find a place for you to plug in to get involved in one of our ministry opportunities or Kidsville. We're restarting that. That's a little more complicated. We got to do all that fingerprinting and all that other stuff, but we're going to get that all set up and go. There's places for you to plug in. And then finally, if you don't have a place to plug in already, begin praying and searching for a ministry in everything that you do. Pray and search. Don't just say, hey, God, whenever you're ready, you know where to find me. 
your prayers ought to be, God, where can I plug in? What is it you want me to be doing? God, where is my part in the mission? Guide me in this. Help me see what I need to be doing to write this church's part of the 29th chapter of Acts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this clear word, clear word from, your, from, from the Bible. Father, thank you for all the blessings you have given us to bring us to this point. And Father, I ask right now that you would be speaking to every heart in this room. Lord, if there, first, if there is anyone in this room or anyone listening on, online that, that, that does not know Jesus the way that we do, Father, I pray that you would make that known to them. That your Holy Spirit would act upon their lives. You would let them see their need for having a personal relationship with Jesus, Father. And you would guide them with courage and with wisdom to find one of us or another believer who can help them understand how to know Jesus. Second, Father, for the majority of us in here who already know Jesus, Father, I pray that you would just reveal to us where you have given us the privilege of being involved in your mission. Father, reveal to us where you are willing to use us to transform lives, to restore marriages, to, to, to restore families, to heal hurts, to combat sin in people's lives and the things that they are, that they are slaves to, to push back the darkness all around us, Father. Reveal it to us, Father, and then guide our church as we help people find those places where they can plug in. In short, Father, use our lives together to do your will so that your son Jesus could be lifted up, so that he could give all the glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray.